Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Cheryl Toth and Mike Sakopoulos, and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Mike, have you seen these ads for um, new T-shirts that are coming out that rate the year 2020? I've been, <laughs> I haven't seen them on my Instagram. They have, so it's like you know the five-star rating system thing, um, right. like an online product rating, but only one star is chosen. And underneath this, like a saying that says, I think you know, do not recommend. It says 2020, do not recommend. Right. Can we agree that the one star for 2020 is? Like really optimistic and overboard <laughs> that I, I would go with zero stars for uh, 2020 and something far stronger than uh, do not recommend. Oh my gosh. I my mean, comment. if we all live through this, we can live through anything. I mean, clearly 2020 has been no picnic on so many levels and mm. it's presented a ton of challenges for leaders, not just clinical um, challenges related to the pandemic, but financial ones and then you think about all the operational change that we've seen. I mean, you and I have been in healthcare a long time. There has been more operational change in the last six, eight months, right? Than we've seen wow. in 20 years, like telehealth and changing, um, putting things to online bill pay, all that stuff. Oh, a- a- absolutely. But of course, the normal day job doesn't go away, right? At the same time, physician leaders still need to you oversee the ongoing goals of their strategic plans, develop teams, you name it, decide on new technologies, a whole lot to handle. Indeed, it really is. And so in today's episode, we're going to talk with about this with Dr. Alan Kaplan, CEO of UW Health. It's a large academic health system that's affiliated with the University of Wisconsin. And Mike, Dr. Kaplan is a very interesting guy who has some unique ideas about how to lead an organization um, through the current pandemic challenge, but also just in general. And I have to say, his suggestions about how to keep a strategic plan alive, uh, he calls it, I think, a living strategic plan. It was the most succinct and spot on I've heard about how to keep your plan from gathering dust. Oh, excellent. Well, Dr. Kaplan talks about his path to becoming a CEO as well and has some great advice and action steps for physicians who want to become leaders. Let's do the word of the show, Atothi, so we can move right into your conversation with Dr. Kaplan. Okay. Well, uh, Mike, I chose a simple but very powerful word for the show today. And that word is focus, which is something I know I have a lot of trouble with. But Mm. everyone knows the definition of this, but very few of us do it well. I mean, with so many challenges and ideas, innovations um, out there floating around, it's sometimes very hard to narrow scope and, you know, focus to, to, to get things done and do it well. But it's such a critical skill for effective leadership, don't you think? Squirrel. No, I, absolutely, Tony. I'm, I'm with you 100%. It's a good choice and a good reminder um, in, in 2020, if not at any time. Yes. Let's listen to your conversation with Dr. Kaplan, who shares his thoughts about staying focused, leading your team through 2020 challenges, and pursuing a path to the CEO role. Joining me from Madison, Wisconsin, is Dr. Alan Kaplan, CEO of UW Health, a $3.5 billion, six-hospital academic health system with 1,500 faculty physicians 
and an affiliation with the University of Wisconsin. Dr. Kaplan is known for his ability to build strategic partnerships, remove barriers, and enable transformative clinical integration that best serves patients and communities. Dr. Kaplan, welcome to Sound Practice. Well, thank you very much, and it's a pleasure being here uh, today with you. Dr. Kaplan earned his medical degree from Rush University in Chicago. He's board certified in emergency medicine, and he earned a master's degree in medical management from Carnegie Mellon University. He's a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives and a fellow of the American Association for Physician Leadership, where he has served as a chair of the board. Prior to joining UW Health, Dr. Kaplan served as Executive Vice President and Chief Clinical Transformation Officer for Unity Point Health, a 17-hospital community health system based in Des Moines, Iowa. He's a lifelong learner and part-time conservation farmer. And Dr. Kaplan, I got to ask before we dive into the interview, what led you to part-time farming? Tell us about that. Well, I'm not quite sure how I developed that interest given that I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, but it is an interest I acquired later in life and was probably furthered by mirroring uh, my wife, Patty, who grew up in a cattle and grain operation in Northern Illinois. Mm -hmm. uh, today, we, we hobby farm, uh, conservation farm, if you will, uh, hundreds of acres. That's wonderful. It must be a great way of kind of escaping all the challenges at work too. So being out in nature. It, it is, and you'll often see me on a tractor on the weekends. Oh, I love it. Great. So let's start with the current challenge that all leaders are facing. You're a CEO of an academic health system. Outside of the clinical challenges related to caring for patients during the pandemic, how have you been focusing your time and energy during the COVID-19 crisis? Thank you for that question, and it's quite timely. Uh, early in the pandemic, uh, my focus was to make sure our teams were in place to handle the hundreds of day-to-day -day issues that arose, everything from building testing capabilities, securing PPE, writing policies and procedures to keep our staff and patients safe. As soon as those teams were securely in place and, and I was confident that they had the resources that they needed to do their jobs, I immediately turned my attention to broader oversight. Uh, that includes external relations, whether that be legislative or working with the Wisconsin Hospital Association or with the state's uh, emergency operating center. I also started began to think about mission recovery. How do we start recouping some of the financial losses? How do we bring learners back into the hospital so that we can continue their education, whether they're resident physicians, medical students, or nurses? Mm -hmm. And we also began to reassess our strategies, particularly those that require large capital investment, uh, since we're seeing our revenues decline and also our investments were not performing well in the spring. Well, and you've been writing and speaking about what the road to recovery at UW Health is going to be looking like now. And you've said there are rare opportunities emerging from some of these hard hits. You've mentioned them, the, you know, the financial recovery and some of these other things um, that other healthcare organizations have experienced as well. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, I'm just going to start by saying that good strategy withstands a pandemic. 
And when we began to reassess our strategy last April, uh, we looked at everything. We looked at our mission, doesn't change. Our vision, remarkable healthcare, doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Our strategic domains, those things that make us competitive, really doesn't change, nor what we call our foundational competencies, which is quality, uh, which is looking after our workforce, uh, IT and analytics, financial performance, doesn't change. And so what we realize is that our strategic plan was solid, maybe with a little tweaking, but what was going to change is how we execute on it. So I've been a senior executive, a senior healthcare executive for 25 years, and I've seen very little change in healthcare, despite thousands of innovators, billions of private equity dollars. We've seen the threat of HMOs in the 90s. We've seen uh, physician-owned imaging centers and surgical centers, uh, low-cost MRI centers. We've had ACOs come our way. We've had regulatory change. We've had all sorts of technology innovation. And yet, if I look at a press Ganey survey, mm -hmm. the complaints that patients had 25 years ago are the same today. I can't get an appointment. I wait too long in the waiting room. All that has happened is we become a more expensive, higher technology, fee-for-service, inefficient system like we always have been. Mm -hmm. And yet, this little strand of RNA comes our way, this thing we call COVID-19, and I believe it's likely to change healthcare more than did all those innovators over the past 25 years and all those things that threatened our, what we felt were threats to our well-being as healthcare organizations. And the change is not going to be to our strategies, but how we execute them, how we conduct ourselves day to day. And it's not due to the current deep emotional state that people are in, uh, that Jesus is terrible, things are gonna change, because in reality, when the pandemic comes and goes, and it will go, mm -hmm. people would normally tend to go back to their normal behaviors. But there's three things that I think are going to change us. Uh, one is social movement. So uh, the other is financial issues. And the third one is some things cannot be unlearned. So if we look at social movement, let's talk about telehealth. Our provider-owned health plan went from 2,800 visits in 2019 to 40,000 visits in April alone of this year. It's, it's been Our incredible, patient, hasn't it? Yeah, that, that's it, it has been. incredible. We've been waiting it for for a long time, and there you have it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and our patients love it, and our providers love it. So I don't think that's going to, I think that's going to continue. Mm -hmm. uh, financial issues, uh, we've learned to work at home. Why do we have so much commercial real estate? Why do we bear the cost of having everyone come to work? I think that's here to stay. Uh, virtual meetings are very efficient. And when it comes to some things that can't be unlearned, uh, we've learned to take our COVID positive patients and keep them separate from those who are not infected, whether it be drive through testing centers, whether it be telehealth. I have to ask the question why we ever mixed highly infectious patients with upper respiratory infections in our waiting rooms. Uh, I think going forward, we're gonna be looking at doing care in a different way to keep people more safe. That's great. I, I think those are really spot on. And the thing is though, we've got so much happening and I, all at once, um, 
and I, I love that you, you found that your strategies were solid. Now you've got all these execution issues to deal with. And I read one of your recent blogs, and in it you talked about this problem that healthcare leaders have. I mean, getting distracted because there are so many things to do, new opportunities, innovations. So what are some of the ways you think that leaders can stick to the strategies and the, the core strategies, deal with the short and long-term issues related to COVID or otherwise, and still take on new innovations and all this change? Is it even possible? And how would you go about doing that? So the short answer is yes, I believe it is possible to balance all three uh, concerns. And it really is just good leadership. So I think it's very important for a leader to create organizational focus and steadiness. I've worked for leaders that zigzag to the next shiny thing and the organization zigzags behind them and no one can really keep a steady focus. And I've worked for leaders that were so focused, you couldn't get them to change even when we should. Mm -hmm. So I believe the way to do this, and maybe I'm going to make this a little simplistic, but it's important that you have a strong strategic plan and it needs to be a living plan. It can't just collect dust on a shelf. So how do you make it living? Well, you have a strategic plan. Each component of the plan has goals. Uh, all the goals are multi-year. Every year you create annual initiatives that march to those goals. You create an accountable executive and you look at it every quarter to make sure things are progressing and you build the resources uh, in the annual budget to make sure that, that we can execute on those items. The, um, we began our strategic assessment last April and we looked at short-term pandemic concerns but we also looked at what happens when the dust settles. So we made sure that even though we are addressing the pandemic, we were focused on long-term uh, and, and keeping the organizational steady through the pandemic to the best of our ability, but making sure we still had focus afterwards. And as far as the innovations, well, like all executives, we get uh, plummeted with junk mail. Uh, I call them junk mail. <laughs> Uh, call them solicitations, external yeah. solicitations. Right. And, uh, and, and I put them in the junk email. So, I, so people may get upset that I don't respond to them, but I get 2,000 approximately every month. Oh if God. I spent one minute on each, that's 33 hours of my week. And it's not just external, internally, you know, we're an academic health system. Even if you're not, healthcare workers are innovative. So everyone's coming up with new ideas and new innovations. So it's really important that the organization focus on that living strategic plan, that they apply innovation to their highest short-term needs and their strategic plan. So if an innovation is accretive uh, to the strategic plan, then we explore. If it's attractive, but not in scope, we put it in the parking lot, we put it aside uh, for later, and everybody knows that. And in that parking lot's a very a lot of very rusty vehicles. <laughs> you know, I have to say that is probably the most succinct, pragmatic way of describing what a strategic plan should be and how you should manage it that I've ever heard. <laughs> it was really good. It's so spot on, and uh, it's a great way to keep people focused, like you say. And I think you're right. This idea of Two, I mean, 2,000 emails a month, you can't possibly do your job and try to manage those. So having 
realizing it's okay to take some of the innovations that are even really good ones, but if they don't apply to what you're working on in the strategic plan, you just got to put them in the parking lot. But having the yes. rigor to do that, it takes courage, honestly, doesn't it? Yes. So uh, let's talk about your experiences as a CEO. You just wrote an article series for AAPL's uh, PLJ uh, publication, and you mentioned in one article that there are baseline requirements for becoming a physician CEO, and then elements that will really set you apart as a leader. So describe that in a little bit more detail, what you meant by that. Sure. And I believe you're referring to my uh, discussion article regarding hard and soft skills. Uh, the hard skills being those like finance and the soft skills being communication, those things that require human to human interaction, negotiation, yeah. conflict resolution. Yeah. And I think and for our listeners, we'll put a link to that article um, in, in the show notes or the couple of articles in the show notes. So great. Thank you. So a lot of people talk about these hard skills and soft skills and communication. So I'm going to take it a step further. When, uh, so I believe you need these things to be a capable leader. The question is, how do you demonstrate that you have these skills when you go to interview for your next job? Uh, and the, the answer is that you just don't you can tell people, hey, I'm great at negotiation. Hey, I'm really good at conflict resolution, but that's not gonna carry the day. What's gonna carry the day is, is how it's demonstrated in the resume. And it's demonstrates with series of accomplishments over time of increasing scale and scope. Mm -hmm. So if you brought, oh, 200 physicians together uh, into a single medical group that were before that time independent, that tells me that you can communicate, you can negotiate, you can resolve conflicts, and that you have these skills. Uh, so it's really a skill set that leads to accomplishments, and it's those accomplishments that demonstrate that you have those skill sets. So just by that kind of one line get, gives you a lot of insight into what that physician has actually, actually done in terms of the skills that they bring to the table to, yes. to do it. Great. These are such uh, great tips and great advice uh, and wisdom from you, Dr. Kaplan. Dr. Kaplan, you did stand-up comedy to polish your public speaking skills, and that must have taken a lot of courage to put yourself out there in such a public way. Tell, tell me more about that. So uh, the way you worded the question, I did stand-up comedy, I think we got to just say I did improv or stand-up because I wasn't very funny. <laughs> uh, there was no comedy there. In fact, I I did improv and I, and the classes were several hours a week and okay. I and I took those classes for a full year, and so it wasn't a one one and done. And I was with very funny people and people from all walks of life. Some of them were actors, actresses. Some of them were. Uh, one was an attorney wanting to be a better litigator. One was actually an editor for a healthcare journal. Uh -huh. And it really got me out of my comfort zone. Uh, in fact, uh, I was well known to be one of the world's worst speakers. Uh, they, where I worked, they did not want to put me in front of an audience because I would stick to PowerPoints. I would read them. I'd be nervous. <laughs> and after doing a year of improv, it allowed me to 
be very comfortable in any audience to show my emotion and my enthusiasm. Uh, so it was really, uh, I, I credit it with the single thing I did that propelled my career, but it did something else. And those that have done improv know this, is that it's very important, uh, this principle that is yes and. and uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's very easy to shut down a scene. So if someone, you know, says, uh, you know, you know, hey, let's take that bus ride uh, across the border, and you say, eh, I don't want to take a bus ride, you've just killed the scene. But if you go, yes, and let's sit in the back and smoke cigarettes, <laughs> now that you just said yes, you built the scene up, now the person knows you're going to be smoking cigarettes, and now they're going to start building the scene from there, and that works when you lead. When someone gives you an idea, your brain might go to the barriers and the obstacles, but in your, if your brain says yes and, you start to explore. And either that person will come to their, their own realization, that idea may not work, or you'll both come to a new realization that maybe that or something else would work even better. And it's really a great leadership skill. So do you, you've, I imagine that you deploy that in your with your team and it kind of opens up the conversation, keeps the conversation rolling so that ideas flow kind of, I guess, well, that's how improv works. So does it work at work? Oh, yeah. We smoke a lot of cigarettes in the back. Oh, <laughs> in the back of the bus. <laughs> I think that's yes, no, it, it works great. Yeah. Um, and have you, uh, have you ever suggested that to, has anybody on your team taken some improv classes at your suggestion? Just curious about that. It sounds like it really benefited your leadership? Uh, you know, that's a good question. None of my team have, but my kids have. Oh, that's good. So you keep it all in the family. I love it. Uh, yes, and. So yes, you, you're going to not shut the idea down, but when a, something is being discussed, it's a yes and something else to sort of keep things rolling. I like that. Um, so you've been candid uh, in some of your um, presentations and by the way we we really don't smoke cigarettes at work i just want to <laughs> you don't. good well that's good it's a non-smoking <laughs> non-smoking academic medical center so you've been candid about the liabilities physicians have to overcome to be considered for ceo roles in some of your writings and your presentations what are some of those uh challenges that physicians have and the liabilities that they come to the role with that they need to um, address or or overcome so the literature is riddled with articles about transitioning from physician to leader. And usually it, the articles will talk about going from being the person in charge to being a member of a team. But there's so much more uh, to, to overcoming uh, being a physician and transitioning into being a healthcare executive. And so the number one thing I would say is that physician executives seeking top executive roles need to be highly qualified executives, not high, highly qualified physicians. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there's no different, this is no different from nurses and accountants. And you don't see nurses talking about how they give injections or start IVs. Uh, IV medications during an executive interview, and you don't hear accountants talking about general accounting principles 
but I cannot tell you how many times I've watched physicians relate a administrative problem to a diagnosis, to a symptom diagnosis and treatment. Hmm. Uh, and it starts to uh, take some stigmas and, and reinforce them with individuals that might think that a physician cannot run a business. The other liability uh, is getting profit and loss experience. In my articles, I, I probably call it operations experience. And it's a significant hurdle uh, for uh, physicians becoming healthcare executives. And one, there's probably two reasons for that, other than just being able to find the opportunity. But the first reason is a healthcare executive, a traditional healthcare executive does a four-year college degree and perhaps an MHA or MBA, that's six years. Mm -hmm. And they're into the workplace, gaining experience. A physician will use, go four years of undergraduate, four years of medical school, three years minimum of residency. Mm -hmm. uh, I did six. And then they're going to practice for a few years because that's what they train to do and they're building their credibility. And somewhere along the line, they may or may not get an advanced business degree. So if you think about that, they have so many less years to build up that operational experience, let's say by age 50, than did the, the traditional healthcare executive. And within that, uh, there's another hurdle that physicians experience. I've seen uh, disrupt careers over and over, and that is compensation. So a physician, and, and I'll use a, a real example, there was a cardiac surgeon that really wanted to be a chief quality officer. And that individual was making cardiac surgery dollars mm -hmm. and wanted to be a chief quality officer for the same amount of money. Well, that job pays far less. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that hurt that he could never cross that chasm. And that happens if you are a physician making, you know, I'm going to just throw out a number. Let's say you're, you're a well-paid physician and you're making quarter million, 300,000 a year, and you want operations experience, but that operations leader may get paid 100, 125,000. You're not going to get the 300,000 plus 125,000. You may not even get the 300,000 plus anything. You might get paid the higher of the two and just have to do the extra work. So I think understanding how compensation works and being willing to either take a decrease to gain the experience or work harder to gain the experience is just a reality. And I will just tell you in my career, I took significant pay cuts at times in order to go from a well-paid physician to get certain types of leadership experience. And is there, I think that's really admirable and it's, it's smart and not everyone's able to or wants to do that. Are there ways that a physician can still practice but get some of that operational experience that you feel would benefit them as a leader? Are there some other options? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've, I've done exactly that at different times in my career. And it's we just have to be willing to take on more, mm -hmm. do it well, and not ask for more money. Uh, once you ask for more money, so at one time I was the medical director of the emergency department. I had an opportunity to take on some operations, lab, pharmacy, and I just said I'd love to. Had I asked for more money, I probably would have never got another opportunity. And so... Uh, it's, and it's different for everybody. It, 
if you're already in a, a medical director, you may have time to take that stuff on. If you're a full-time clinician, it might just be extra work. Uh, but I think that's just something every individual has to navigate to their personal um, experiences. Uh, well, but in the end, when we talk about operations experience, when I came to UW Health, uh, within the first four years I was here, I had a complete uh, transaction, a $450 million joint operating agreement. I had to uh, implement an $80 million margin improvement across the organization. I had to address significant workforce issues. I had to build a team and then I had to manage a pandemic. So people do not want to, you know, hiring boards, search committees are risk averse and they don't want to put someone in those roles unless they're confident that they can really truly lead these complex organizations. Well, it's interesting as I was listening to you talk about when you're a medical director in the emergency services department and you took on, you had the chance to do the operations in the pharmacy and lab. It's kind of like the yes and. I mean, you just said, yes, I'd like, I'd love to do that. And you, you know, you want to learn about the PL and other aspects of operations. So it seems to be something to stay open. It sounds like what you're saying is you may find that that experience can come in different packages, but you have to be willing to do the work. Yes. Your advice to aspiring physician CEOs and, and, and other executive leadership roles for physicians is to know what you want to do, plan your career, earn your credentials, and then follow your own path. And a lot of this you've just sort of mentioned is like, you know, the earn, earning your earning your keep and your credentials. Um, Tell me what that looked like in terms of your, your actual path to being a CEO. And so folks can sort of glean some, some thoughts and advice on how, what your stepladder, I guess, was on the way. So I was fortunate to have my first medical director job three and a half years out of residency in 1995. And 10 years later, I thought that I was ready to be a CEO. And I entered into an interview for a hospital CEO. And I was with the recruiter for, oh, maybe 10 minutes. And he stopped and he just looked at me and says, you know, Alan, if you want to be a CEO, you're going to have to learn how to interview like one. And that interview was over. Uh, I went home and my, and Patty uh, asked me, how did the interview go? And I said, ah, you know, it went pretty well, but I, I don't think I want that job. And so, but what really happened after that is I wanted to understand what it was I needed to do to be ready to be a CEO. So I did some research. I talked to search consultants mm -hmm. around the country. I talked to sitting physician CEOs. And I talked to physicians in other leadership positions. And I wrote the first three parts of, of my physician to CEO articles back in 2006. But then I followed my own findings. I followed the advice of all those people I interviewed with. And one of the things that they mention is that physicians tend not to elevate in their career because they're adverse to moving, mm -hmm. to changing locations, but all uh, healthcare executives that come up the traditional way believe that's just part of how it works. True. And so when I topped out in Illinois and Iowa, I moved, uh, and so that allowed me to take larger roles at larger organizations, higher level roles, and so forth. Uh, the other thing I'd say is it wasn't a straight line. 
you know, if you looked at my roles, you say, boy, that, that uh, you know, Alan Kaplan, he just kind of kept moving up. It wasn't like that. Uh, There's plenty of disappointment. I was a runner up for opportunity uh, more than once, multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, at Unity Point Health, uh, my peer uh, in strategy and operations uh, became the CEO. He's a very well-deserving individual. Uh, but uh, I was in searches and for, for large organizations and became the runner-up, no prize. And so you take a lot of disappointment, but you have to take each one and learn, pick yourself up and keep going. And the last thing that I want to talk about is, is this concept of luck. Is there truly luck? Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there's opportunities that come. There's timing. Uh, you can make your own luck through networking. And doors will continue to open for everyone. But you really make your own luck. And you make your luck through constant preparation. You are constantly needing to read, to learn, to observe, to, to exercise your skills, to build your resume so that when those opportunities come and those doors open, you walk through them and they don't close on you. And yes, some doors will close on you, they closed on me, but each one is a learning opportunity more than it is a, a turn down disappointment. So true, so true, that's well put. What, what would you like aspiring leaders to take away from our conversation today, Dr. Kaplan? So my thoughts and advice are derived from not just my own experience, but I've been in a position to observe dozens and dozens of healthcare executives, physicians, and non-physicians. And I believe my advice is validity, uh, but these things, uh, and even my own career success, do not make me the expert authority. I would advise all aspiring, aspiring leaders to get lots of inputs uh, throughout your career. Uh, all your coworkers, your supervisors, leaders, both internally and nationally, uh, presidents, uh, legislators, uh, they're all successful if you measure success by their position. And by observing them, you'll have the ability to observe their good and their not so good behaviors and attributes. And each one has something that got them to where they are. Try and figure out what that is. And each one has something that makes them maybe not as good as you would like to be. And so you need to learn from all of them, those that you like their attributes and those that you don't and create your own self, the best leader that you can be. Inspiring conversation, great wisdom and such relevant guidance from you today, Dr. Kaplan. I know you're very busy running your health system and we appreciate your time on Sound Practice today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, good conversation, Tothi. It was such an interesting one, Mike. I don't know if every physician leader is willing to take improv classes, but <laughs> hearing Dr. Kaplan talk about the whole concept of yes and makes me think they all should. It certainly wouldn't hurt for all leaders, physician or otherwise, to respond to ideas and feedback in a way that is positive and opens the door for further conversations, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Tothi, that's really a wrap for today. It is, and we've put links to Dr. Kaplan's PLJ articles in the show notes. If you liked my conversation with him and you listen to Sound Practice regularly, please, please, oh, please take a minute to tell other people by reviewing us on your podcast app. You can also help us get the word out 
about sound practice by referring us to a colleague. And if you have feedback, good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at feedback at soundpracticepodcast.com. Don't miss our next episode of Sound Practice. We release one every other Wednesday. Bada bing, bada bada bing, bada You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, that man and Robin went from Kapow.